Well, this afternoon we'll be talking about stewardship of time. Now, you and I know what time is. We can define it in, in our own ways. And there are times that we are not aware, it seems like, about the time. But at the same time, we are reminded by the scriptures, by the word of God, who he is and who we are and how we should live. Now, there are many iniquities in the world, but one thing we all have in common is the same amount of time each day. God has allotted 24 hours to each one of us, but we tend to think and act sometimes as though God has shortchanged us when it comes to time. It is not uncommon to hear people complaining like there is just not enough time in a day to do everything I need to do. I just do not know where time goes. I try to find time, but I am hard-pressed for time at present. The feeling is there that there's not enough hours in the day. Life with all its demands is far too busy. And I know sometimes I complain about it. I don't have enough time. But you know what? All of us are given the same time. No one has any advantage over anyone. We have 24 hours every day. Now, in 1960, Time magazine reported that a subcommittee of the U.S. Senate was assembled to discuss the topic of time management. The best experts in the field were concerned with advances in technology, that by the, the biggest problem by the end of the century would be that people would do with all, how would people do with all their free time? It was suggested that people will cut back on how many hours a week they worked, or how many weeks a year they work, or else they would be retiring sooner. The truth is that the average work week is now 47 hours, up from 43 hours two decades ago. The recent Gallup poll found that 44% of American workers consider themselves as workaholic. With all our modern conveniences and technology advances, we should have more leisure time than any period of history, but the opposite is really the case. For most people, it is run, 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 go, go, go. And so much, and so most people seem to be out of breath. And how ironic it is. A Christian writer made an observation that, a, that Christians, in a Christian setting, tend to make their work more seriously than others. They also place high value on family obligations and other community endeavors. The upshot of this, as somebody commented, is Christians are like trains, always on the move, in a rush, and always late. 
Time is precious, but we do not know yet how precious it really is. We will only know when we are no longer able to take advantage of it. How many times that some people will say, I wish that I could go back and change things. The time wasted will never be saved. They vanished. You lost them. The focus of this short message this afternoon is to understand the, public, the biblical perspective of stewardship of time. And I hope that with the amount of time we share together, we could catch few principles that will help and guide us in using the time God has allowed us to spend in our lifetime with eternity in mind. God's relationship to time is one of the greatest mysteries of the Bible. Second Peter 3.8 says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Peter took it from Moses in the book of Psalm 90. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by or like a watch in the night. A watch in the night. You know how many hours is that? Three hours. Imagine a thousand years going by like three hours. If a man's life lasts roughly seven years, according to Psalm 9010, and a thousand years like three hours, then our entire life would be reduced to 12 minutes and 30 seconds. On this scale, our entire sojourn of this earth which is passed in a blur. We were born, start school, go to college, get the job, marry and have children, then grandchildren and die. And yet the Lord continues from everlasting to everlasting. Now Peter also indicates that the opposite is also true of God's perspective on time. He tells us with the Lord that day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. From that perspective, God has only waited two days since the day Jesus was born. God literally has all the time in the world. He is not in a hurry nor taking his time. He is God and he will do when he wills to do it. One of the many lessons we can learn from this principle is that God in his sovereignty has given us enough time to accomplish his purpose for our lives. His plan has been unfolding since the beginning of what we call time. His call for us is to discover his plan for our lives and act upon it. God is engaged in our time. Maybe you thought time was all yours and God had nothing to do with it. Actually, he has everything to do with it. Your birth was because of his grace and your living is covered by his providential care. And your day of death is planned already and our times 
are in his hands. Now, many of us know about Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 to 8. I think maybe in the late 60s or early 70s, we heard a song that's basically making these verses into a rhyme, a song, a very nice song. And this was basically done by Bob Dylan. I'm not sure many of us perhaps can remember it. And, of course, sometimes we like to sing, but sometimes we don't really know much of the meaning of that song, especially from those passages. Now, the writer, Solomon, rather than evaluating life's event as good or bad in those passages, Right or wrong, Solomon was simply observing the back and forth cycles of our lives. We plant and harvest, tear down and build up, love and hate, keep and throw away, make war and make peace. And yet we do it all again endlessly. Humanity swings between extremes. And to what end? until we observe time from God's point of view. That's one of the things that we have to learn, how we can see time, not our point of view, but from God's perspective. Here we see how precious time is as a resource. It is beneficial to come to grip with the truth that we simply do not have sufficient time to accomplish all our hearts desire to do and what we know we are capable of doing. So we do make the most of our time here and now. Since Lewis said, the key is to cultivate a genuine heavenly mindedness. We need to look and learn at time with a godly viewpoint. People who are only thinking about what the world can offer will never accomplish truly great things in life because their lives lack the stability, substance, and weight of a person for whom the future holds greater promise than the past and present. They may acquire and store wealth, but they never can take them with them because they cannot see the full consequence of their works beyond the grave. Their labor lacks ultimate gratification or even meaning. One thinker said, time is given to us to prepare for eternity. The opposite can also be true that eternity is given to us to prepare us for time. We will fail to live out our time wisely if we fail to live it out in light of eternity. The opportunities and circumstances of this world can never satisfy our deep longings because God has set eternity in our hearts, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11. When we long for that this world can offer, we are really longing for eternity. 
A.W. Tozer put it this way, the days of the years of our lives are few and swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Life is short and fevered rehearsal for a concert we can stay to give just then we appear to have attained some proficiency. We are forced to lay our instrument down. There is simply not time, time enough to think, to become, to perform what the constitution of our nature indicates we are capable of. How completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none of these limitations. Eternal years lie in his heart for him who does not pass. It remains, and those who are in Christ share with him all the riches of limitless time and endless years. The seasons of life may seem like a carousel spinning around and round, but God is engaged in our time as he fits our lives into his grand scheme, which only he can comprehend. And him is a cycle of life, beautiful and meaningful. Although time is fleeting, time is extremely valuable. God, who is engaged in our time, gives eternal significance of each season of our lives. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, told the young Christians, one, to live a life worthy of the calling they had received. Two, to be imitators of God. Three, to live as children of light. And four, be careful on how they live, not as unwise, but five, redeem time because of the evil day. If you wish to avoid being foolish and desire to understand the will of the Lord, you will redeem. And by that, you buy, you get, or win back time. God definitely cares about how will a person manage his time. A single principle that is very valuable is the recognition of the value of time and redeeming it, buying it up and using it carefully as a priceless resource which it represents. One good example that the Word of God gives us is Moses. You know, we just read Psalm 90. Moses read that Psalm. Moses came to realize how short his time would be. The Psalm begins with a meditation on the eternity of God. Before the mountains were born, or God brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses also then contrasted the God who is from everlasting to everlasting with the transitory nature of humanity. He then made a humble, hum, a humble request before God to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with, our, with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in our days. No, Moses wanted his life to count for God and that it might have eternal value. But an essential part of this was an awareness of the value and purpose of his time on earth. 
Man's problem is that he tends to live for the moment rather than for eternity. But where does time management begin? By calculating not only the brevity of life, but also the approximate days he might have left according to the average lifespan. With that lifespan in view, Moses prayed that he might devote himself in bringing in a harvest of God's wisdom so he might live wisely, walking circumspectly in the light of God's wisdom. He said, teach us to number our days. Numbering our days would include evaluating the use and management of time, meaning where and how we spend our days. Numbering our days also means evaluating the quality of time spent. The amount of time we spend at something is often not as important as the quality of time spent. Not only must we consider where our time goes, but how we spend it and why. By how and how well. Is it quality time? Do you take time for God's word and others who require solid thinking and alertness when you are not beat or when you are at your best? No, Moses, many times we try to divide his life in 40 years. The first 40 years, second 40 years, and the last 40 years. And if you study the life of Moses, you can, you can discover and find how God was working in his life, and how God was working through him to free the Israelites from the bondage of slavery. How about David? No, you and I knew who David was. No, in Psalm 39, David also made a psalm. I mean, he was a man called after God's own heart. In Psalm 39, he prayed, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each month's life is but a breath. David, like Moses, was impressed with life's brevity and the consequent importance of using time wisely. Man's life is fleeting like a hand breather, which was the shortest means of measurement during David's time. Man's life is like one's breath seen on the cold morning that quickly vanishes. Without God, man's life is without substance. It's like a phantom, a shadow. Man cannot amass great wealth, but he cannot take it. A man can amass great wealth, but he cannot take it with him. He must leave it behind, and who knows what will become of his fame and fortune. And it's very true. As a godly man, in Psalm 39, though frustrated and in pain, rather than express his frustration before others, which might dishonor God, he made a commitment to muscle his mouth. That's in Psalm 39, 1. 
And as he meditated on his life, his silence was broken not before men, but that it should in prayer to God. He prayed for answers, for wisdom, that he might learn what God wanted him to know and apply in view of the shortage of life. His prayer shows us how hopeless the perplexities of life can be unless seen in the light of an eternal and all-wise God and his plan for us as revealed in the scriptures. So David prayed, Lord, make me know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Some believe that David was asking what is the purpose and meaning of my life. He was asking, Lord, help me to not put all my eggs in such a fragile basket, one that is so fleeting and passing away. David then concludes his reflection on the fleeting and frail nature of life in verse 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait? My hope is in you. It contains the idea of an enduring expectation in faith, trusting that the object of faith will meet expectations. And God alone was his place of confident expectation. How about us? Can we say the same way? That God alone is the place of our confident expectation? How about the Lord's example? Let me just show to you two things. The very good example that we can follow is our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark, chapter 1, from verse 35 to 39. The passage says that Jesus Christ started his day by what? Spending his time with the Father in prayer by going to a solitary place. While Jesus was away, the, the disciples got carried away because what? They became popular. People were looking for them. But Jesus told them, let us go to the next town that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. Jesus Christ, they were lost sight to the reason why he came. The Lord knew why he came, what he needed to do. The Lord was focused on his mission, on the goal of his coming, to serve, to preach the kingdom of God, and to die on the cross for our sins. No, many people follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But we, we know that he only chose 12. Very interestingly, in Mark also, Mark said that Jesus Christ, after he prayed that night before he chose to what? To be with him. To be sent out to preach and to heal the sick. First principle of Christ was that he's going to train the disciples and they should be with him 24 hours a day. And for three years or three years and a half, that's what they did. And what happened?
Pierce to turn the world upside down. The Lord Jesus Christ was not after the number, but it was after of the people who were committed fully to, in following him. In fact, when Christ uh, died and the gathered, after, I mean, uh, after he was resurrected, there were only about 120 of them. And when Peter preached the first message, when the Holy Spirit filled them up, you know, there were 5,000 who came to know the Lord. Now, there are other examples the way the Lord is living his life that you and I can emulate. One thing that I really appreciated was I grew up in my Christian life because of the lives of the people who were close to me. They were mentoring me. They helped me how to live by faith. Now, you and I talk about living by faith, but have we ever experienced how to live by faith? No, when I was uh, in Manila, I mean, I live in the dorm, and every weekend I spent time uh, in my uncle's house. And my, um, the, the guy that followed me, Philip Flores, encouraged me how to learn how to live by faith. No, life was easy. Friday, I go to my uncle's house, and I eat three meals every day. They even helped wash my clothes. But then one day, you know, I said, you know what? I'll try it. Now, at that time, I had only about two pesos in my pocket. And I was waiting for a money coming from my mom and dad through telegraphic transfer. And I said, Lord, you know what? I want to know what is to live by faith. I got this amount of money. I don't know how will I be eating after I spend this money to the auto pesos. That weekend, you know, I woke up, spent my quiet time, and said, Lord, I don't know. I have nothing for breakfast. But you know what? There was a knock in my door. And somebody came and asked, Jewel, have you had your breakfast? And I told him, no. So come on, let's go. It's on me. <laughs> and after breakfast, he said, Jewel, you know, uh, I, have five, uh, I have five pieces here. I want to give it to you. I said, wow. Anyway, that's something that I will never forget because that was the first time that I really learned what is to live by faith and allow God to supply my needs. 
Another example that we can find uh, from, the, uh, from the Lord is uh, in John chapter 11. You know about it. Lazarus was very ill. And then somebody was sent to the Lord Jesus Christ and told him that Lazarus, a very close friend, was ill. What did the Lord Jesus do? Was he in a hurry? He said, whoops, I've got to hurry up and be with Lazarus. No. He decided to delay his going to Lazarus for two days. And in fact, the disciples were also scared because they were afraid that if they go back to Judea, they might be killed with him. No, the Lord Jesus Christ in many ways waited until Lazarus died. Why? He said to the disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Would you consider it as a well-spent time? How are we managing our time in the past 12 months? Have you ever sat down and make a goal? What you want to do? Or what do you want the Lord work in your life? What do you want the Lord to transform you? Now, many times we always pray that, Lord, I want you to change me. But many times we don't really spend time with him. Some kind, some kind of a wishful thinking for many of us. Sometimes you think that it's, it's a mystic, you know, it's a mystery. It just happened. But if you go to the scriptures, we find lots of helps on how you and I can be transformed into his own likeness. How can we manage our time? What, what's the a better way for us to apply and be wise? Now let me just suggest you a few of the things that I've learned and I've used for many years. I have what I call a goats. G-O-A-T-S. Now, every year, for a number of years, in the month of January, I spend a day in prayer. Alone by myself, with God, read the word, sing some songs, and pray hard. And then that for the first day in prayer, when I jot down some of the goals. So first, G is goals. Know what are your goals. Goals are not planned. Goals are not what you want to do. No goals basically is what you want to be. 
So in other words, you have to pray and ask the Lord, what do you want me to be this year? No, there are lots of things that you and I can follow. No, I have, I have my life verse, and many times I use that to help me get started. My goal. Then after that, after you have wrote down the goals, and your goals, you know, can be according to your priorities. What are the most important things in your life? Can it be your relationship? Can it be your vocation? Can it be your physical needs, your spiritual needs, or perhaps your ministry? And many times, many of us, sometimes uh, made a mistake, I would say, making a relationship with God as equivalent to ministry. They're not the same. Ministry is a result of your relationship with God. No few years ago, I read a I never read a book, but I read an article about a child of one of the known Christian worker. I mean, uh, he was known in the world, and one of the children wrote a book in many ways complaining that their dad was spending more time in the ministry than them. We should come. Relationship with God, your family, your ministry, or any other people. So make your goals according to what is really very important in your life. Second, oh, objective. What do you want to do? If you want to improve your relationship with the Lord, what do you want to do? You will say, I want to have my quiet time every day. At this time, not only five minutes, but I want to spend 30 minutes with him every day. Now, that's an objective, to spend 30 minutes every day with God. Oh, I want to read the whole Bible in one year. So you, you need to list down activities that will help you reach that goal. That's, I mean, objective. Then A is activities. Okay, how will you be doing if you want to read the whole Bible in one year? You may have to ask, how many chapters should I read every day? Or how many times a week should I read to finish the whole Bible in one year? So write down the activities on how you do it, how you fulfill it. You may say, I mean, I want to take good care of my health. I want to run a mile every day. Yes, you can do that. But you have to write down, how will I do it? I'll go to Cherokee Park and then run around for a mile every day. Or I go to... Tom Sawyer's Park, 
and walk for a mile. And then its goal, objective, and activities, and then a timetable. What part of during the day or during the week that you want to do it? And how often and how long? And then the last one, the S, is systematic evaluation. Every so often, I'm not, I'm not sure how will you do it, every quarter, every six months, you go back, spend time, and evaluate where you are. How much have you done in the last few months? And then if you need to make a few changes, do it. You know what, guys? If you can do that and be able to look at what you've been doing, know you know exactly where you will be. And most of all, you know exactly how God is working in you. In conclusion, being a good steward of time does not mean we cannot enjoy the many good things God gives us in this life. God has freshly provided us with all things for our enjoyment. We must realize that in our enjoyment, we are not to fix our hope on the fleeting uncertainties that the world can offer, but on God alone. Being a good steward of time, God gives us not really a matter guarding the minutes so we can spend our time productively. We need to spend our time wisely, but even more importantly, we need to have a grasp of time in the sense of understanding the great events of God in history, past, present, and future, as they are set forth in the scriptures. In the grand scheme of the plan of God, the goal of stewardship of time is not to get God's children busier. It is not busier alive that we need, but we need is a better use of time. We have combined with a biblical view of time on earth. Now, many of us are young, and few of us are older. I just had my 73rd birthday a few days ago. But you know what? No regret. I never feel I'm old. <laughs> I know that the Lord has still something good for me. And the Lord is not done with me yet. I hope that you will have that same thought also, that the Lord is not done with me yet. He's got something better waiting for me. Let's bow ahead in prayer. Lord, you have given us 24 hours. Lord, you have given us the freedom how we can use the time you gave us. Lord, I do pray that you give us the wisdom we will, that we will be using it with eternity in mind. Lord, I do pray that May next year will be different because we know that we 
learn how to use the time that you have given us. No, our lifespan may not be the same, but Lord, help us to number our days. Teach us how to live wisely and teach us how to live productively for your own glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen.